Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On February 19th, 11 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holy Hound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was Second Chances. We heard stories about second chances at life and love, major life events that provided a significant shift in perspective, stories about being given a chance and totally blowing it, and overall, quite a few tales of redemption. In the end, Phil Broder won with his story of a college English assignment that led to a big opportunity to shine. I've learned there are a couple certainties in life. Gravity always wins, and fish are not aerodynamic. I know this because of my collegiate freshman English writing assignment, to do something you've never done before and write about it. I started college at University of New Hampshire, UNH, a fine New England school with a proud tradition of hockey. And our hockey team that year was not living up to that proud tradition. Um, our new coach, just hired, had to take his first season off because, no joke, he needed a heart transplant. It really was no joke, I guess. Uh, also, our, our starting goalie was under indictment for Grand Theft Auto. So the season was looking promising. To compensate for that, there was always a student cheering section with one student who was sort of the head unofficial cheerleader. And that person had a handful of jobs to bang on a cowbell and get the crowd riled up, to lead pithy cheers like, give me a U, give me an N, give me an H, what's its spell? Uh. <laughs> and after the first wildcat goal of each game, to take a large fish and throw it on the ice. Didn't have to be any particular kind of fish. It was usually whatever leftover piece of trash the Oyster River Seafood Company had laying around. You didn't want to have to spend a lot of money on this fish. Just had to clear onto the ice. So for this writing assignment, I've been going to hockey games for a couple of months already. I went up and asked this guy, hey, tonight's game. Can I throw the fish? Sure. Now you got to understand the layout of our arena. First off, Batchelder Arena. It was this old wooden barn that was a cigarette butt away from an Australia-style conflagration. And you've seen hockey rinks. You know, there's the glass around them. And the hockey glass is about that high. And then instead of the seats going all the way up to the glass, we had an aisle. So you had like five feet of empty space before the bleachers started. And the bleachers were elevated, so if the glass was that high, your feet were at about this level. So you could basically see over the glass. The game is going on, they're beating the cowbell, they're leading stupid cheers, they're yelling homophobic slurs at the referee. It was the 80s, it was a different time. And we finally scored. And the crowd is going wild. And then people start going, fish, fish, fish. And I reached down into this hefty bag on the floor and pulled out the fish. 
Now remember, I've only got to get that fish across the aisle and over the glass, and I'm already above the glass. And I took that fish, gave it my best sidearm heave. You know that moment when your hand is pushing the door of your car closed even while your brain is screaming, my keys are in there. <laughs> I had that moment because as I'm sidearming that fish onto the ice, I realize that my hands are sliding down the tail. And by the time I get to that launch release point where your hands have to come off the fish, I mean, I'm holding on to like the tail fins. There is no force behind this throw. And that fish nosedived into the glass, went splat. And it's, you know, basically a scale-covered bag of slime and fish guts slid down into the aisle where some other passing student picked it up and chucked it up over the glass. I could have gone back to my dorm room, never emerged again. <laughs> that would have been the respectable thing to do and no one would have blamed me for it. But you gotta get back on that bicycle. So the next week I went back to another game, seeking redemption. And I said, I'm gonna throw the fish this time. I've been thinking about it. Instead of the sidearm heave, you really need more of a shot put technique because there's, you can't, there's nothing to grip. You just gotta do that. And finally, UNH scored a goal. And the crowd is going wild. And I took that fish and gave it my best shot put heave. The problem was that also right next to that glass was the visiting team's bench. And, and I heaved that fish up and over, and it caught the Yale coach smack in the head. <laughs> that led to what became known as the brawl at Batchelder, when the entire Yale men's hockey team went into the stands after the UNH fans. But that's another story. Phil earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is a story from Ann Ladoff, who shared about finding ways to incorporate movement into her life as a young girl and as an adult. My second chance didn't start till about four years ago, maybe five, but it begins way back in 1958 when klutzy kid that I was, you did what you did with little girls who were klutzy. You put them in ballet. That was supposed to fix it. And all I wanted was to be a dancer. When people say, if you couldn't fail, what would you? I'd be a dancer. I wouldn't fall down every five minutes. I'd be graceful, which I fell down all the time, so I went into ballet. My hair wouldn't stay up in the bun. My leotards kept getting crumpled. I tripped over my ballet shoes. My mother rolled her eyes. But here's the thing. I really liked ballet. I was so surprised because when you're a klutz and you're the family joke you don't think you can do anything like walk in a straight line and not fall over what i liked about it was that it took determination anybody you have the positions when once that was hard but you keep doing it and you stand in the back and you don't fall over 
by and large, that's all you need to do. And it did dawn on me, because I was in ballet for a good four or five years. I was never going to be the sugar plum fairy. We did the Nutcracker every year. And every year, Tony Adezio got to be the sugar plum fairy. And she got the spangled tutu and the pink toe shoes, and I got to be a soldier way in the back, so I fell over. All the other soldiers fell over, so I tried to stand up straight. And eventually, I don't know if time or money or whatever ran out, but I stopped having ballet lessons, and I, I really missed them. And then I could turn into junior high, where no, we don't want you on your team. No, we don't want you. Oh, God, you got Anne. Don't want you on your team. You can't see. Every time you try to hit the ball, you fall down. You're just clumsy or as they say in York, doppy. Well, as I got older, I began to think, maybe I should try something. I'm getting older, things don't, they never work well to begin with, but they're not any better now. And a little by little, I kind of looked around to see if there were any adult ballet classes, because I really liked it. And there were, but they weren't giving them away. And I was already a member of the Jewish Community Center. If you're a little Jewish girl, you better learn ballet. So I belonged to the Jewish Community Center, and I would start, you know, I was hours cut back at work, so I had a little more time, and I would be on the elliptical where I promptly fell off it. And then I got on the treadmill, and I fell off that. And eventually they told me to please take the one in the back where, the, where somebody can help you in case you fall over again. But what I liked, I kind of watched the dance, they were dancing. And it wasn't the kind, it wasn't ballet, it was very loud and there was much, there was much moving around and yelling and this kind of thing. <laughs> no, I can't eat my arms or my legs, not both at once. But I also started looking at the people trotting in with mats under their arms and very good posture and this look of people who were in touch with whatever. And I thought, okay, what are they doing? They were doing yoga. Well, even I'd heard of yoga. So a couple times I would go over and kind of look in the studio. And there was a lot of moving around and balance stuff. And I thought, oh, forget it. Why? You know, I belong to the JCC. I'm allowed to take yoga. So I signed up for gentle yoga, where they talk to you like you're not terribly bright. <laughs> and they say, OK, deep breath, everybody. That's right. Let it out. Very good. For God's sake, lady, if I wanted to get stoned, I'd get stoned. <laughs> but here's the thing. I kind of liked gentle yoga. I mean, when they said, be a tree, and that was that. But they didn't care if I stayed in the back. They only cared if I fell over because they didn't want me to sue them. What they mostly wanted me to do was learn to breathe. And yes, you belong here too. So I advanced. I advanced out of gentle yoga. I moved into alignment yoga, where it was a lot more complicated and you had to move a lot faster. And I thought, what's going to happen? They're going to kick you out of the JCC? You've been a member here 30 years. They can't afford to kick out members. Just do it. And that was my second chance. Not only did I move up to alignment yoga, I moved up to power yoga. Now, bear in mind, I wasn't good. I'm still not good at it. But when I talked to the instructor, he, I said, you know, I stay in the back. I'm going to fall. He said, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry. Now, for God's sake, Ms. Ladoff, breathe. 
Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Ty Lore. Ty shared his story of the day he met his best friend. So I was 21 years old when I realized that money actually can buy happiness. I grew up thinking that, you know, everything, like, everything you love can be free. You don't need money to get happiness. But in 2015, I found out that you can buy happiness pretty cheap. Uh, for $50, I bought my best friend in the whole entire world. And it was a roller coaster ride getting there. But um, started off that day, I, I had finally realized that I really wanted a dog. My mom always told me that I could get a dog because I was staying at her old house, but she didn't want a pit bull around the house because she had a hairdressing salon and everything. I was like, all right, whatever. Like, she wouldn't go for the first two dogs I went and saw because uh, they needed another, whoever else was gonna be in the house to come and check them out. And they were, um, they ended up being pit bulls, full bred American pit bull terriers. And, so I finally found this shelter that was pretty near to my house. It was about 30 minutes away. And I woke up. I had about three hours to get everything done. So I wake up. I drive to the Venango County Humane Society. Fun fact, the Venango County Humane Society has a uh, shop where they sell things to raise money for the Humane Society that goes by the Venango County Humane Society. It's 20 minutes away from where the actual Venango County Humane Society is. So go there, talk to the guy at this Dog Salvation Army. He tells me that I need to go 20 minutes down south and um, you know I'll, I'll see the shelter. It's this old beaten down building. It's, you can't miss it. And I was like, cool, go down there. Drive down there. At this point, I have about an hour and a half. I was like, that's plenty of time to, I don't know, get a dog and like take it home. And I don't, an hour and a half is a long time to figure things out. So I was like, it's more than enough time. I go down there and it's this beat up building, no lights on or in the place. And it has a big white poster hanging in the front. And it said they relocated literally two days prior. <laughs> um, I'm 21 at this point. I don't like, I don't know how to read directions. I don't have a map. I don't have an atlas. Uh, so I followed these directions. It was like, go a quarter mile down this road, hang a left and uh, you know, go behind the gas station and it'll be about 500 feet on the right. So I do my best to find this place. It's another like 20 minutes. At this point, I'm like, I have about an hour and, uh, before I have to be at work. And I'm like, yeah, this is fine. And I had done a little bit of research before. I looked online. I saw photos of the dogs that they had up for adoption. And I was kind of feeling a beagle. I don't know. Like, I just kind of walked in. I feel like it's kind of like getting a haircut. I don't know. Like, I was like, I don't know. Like, we'll see what we have. Um, beagle sounds good today. Uh, that sounded like a weird... I, I don't eat animals, or dogs, I eat animals. You get what I'm saying. So I walk in and uh, I'm like going down this cell block. I don't know what to call it. It's this brand new building, but it's all cement. And they have country music blaring. I like country music, I know. But they have it blaring, like I couldn't even hear myself think. And I walked about three, four cages down and I saw this dog in the back corner facing the wall. And I like realized his fur color and I thought I remembered his name, but I wasn't sure. So I like kneeled down and I was like, uh, Dexter. And he like turned his head and he got super excited and he ran over to me and he started licking me through the cage. And I was in there for like maybe two minutes. I was like, I'm going to take this one. Can I, where do I check out? Like, do I bring him to you? Um, and they were like, no, you can't just, you can't just come in here and like take a dog. You have to, you have to spend time with it and, uh, you know, get acquainted with it. So we have like this playroom. Why don't you take the dog and go to the playroom for half hour or so. I was like, that's a long, I don't have that much time. Um, I need to be at work in like 45 minutes. 
And they were like, well, 15 minutes will do. And like, they're just going with me. I felt like I was in charge. It was really weird. I don't know if they got new volunteers in the time that they moved to. But um, so we went to the playroom and I sit down and I'm, I'm playing with Dexter and I'm talking to him and I'm like, hey, you're going home with me. What do you think about that? And he's just pissing in the corner and then running to another corner and like peeing. And he's having, he's having like a ball doing this. And uh, so I'm checking my watch, checking my watch, and about 15 minutes goes by, and I like peek my head out the door, and I was like, he peed everywhere. Um, and I, can I sign the paperwork now, or how does that, how's that work? I still think I want him. And so anyways, I go out, and I take out my checkbook, because I'm a young adult, and I put it down, <laughs> and I write out a check for $50 after I called the bank and made sure I had that much money in there, and ripped it off, gave it to them, and uh, they just gave me a sheet of paper, and it just said that I had purchased this dog from the Venango County Humane Society. He had all the shots, he was neutered, uh, he was like, good to go. And I was like, you know, how old is he? And they were like, a two or three. And I was like, cool, um, what kind of dog is he? And they were like, he's a Husky Lab. And I was like, I don't know. Like, do you mean he's a Husky or Lab? Like, that makes sense, but I don't know about the whole, he kind of, and uh, they were just like, ah, we don't, you know, we don't really know much about his backstory. Like a lot of the paperwork got uh, shuffled up in the, in the move and they had literally just been there two weeks. So I ended up bringing him home. At this point, I have like 10 minutes before I gotta be at work. I call, I call my one friend, I'm like, hey, can you cover for me? I'm gonna be a little bit late, just bought a dog. So uh, I gotta take him out. And uh, I take him out and my mom, her hair salon is attached on the back of the house. So she's going in and out of the house all day long. And I was like, hey, mom, um, I just got a dog. His name's Dexter. And she like came and she's like, hey, it's a pit bull. And I was like, it's not a pit. I was like, it's not a pit bull. It's a husky lab. I have the paperwork to show it. It's pretty legit. He's two or three. So um, anyways, I got to go to work. I just let him out. I'm sure he'll be fine for like two hours. I'll be back. And I think he's going to be a great addition to our house. And I ran out to work. And I was at work for maybe like, I don't know, half hour, an hour tops, and I get a call from my mom, frantic. She's like, he's shit in the living room. And uh, I was like, that's impossible because they said he was housebroken. So I don't know, I think you're, I think you might've done that. Um, no, so anyways, I rush home because uh, I don't want my mom to be upset at this dog. And she's like, I can't believe you got a pit bull. And, and, and now he's like, he's not housebroken. She's freaking out. And uh, I like grabbed the newspaper and Dexter freaked out a little bit. He got all nervous and scared. And I didn't know what that was about because I really don't know his backstory. But all I know is I've had him for four years. He's my best friend. He hasn't shit on the floor since. And he sleeps beside me every night. It's the best thing, it's the best thing I've ever bought for $50. So thank you. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. A big thank you to our 2020 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.